You want me down here or up here? Y'all may be seated. Thank you. We're the matter. All right. We're good. Well, good morning. Um, as you can tell, um, I'm not Brother Bryce, but that's okay. Uh, he has, uh, the night before last, spent uh, a little bit of time in the emergency room, had some uh, pneumonia and pleurisy, I think it was, um, set in. So he was in, um, as he said, um, some pretty good amount of pain. So we need to be in prayer for him, that he would recover quickly and get back to us. Um, so y'all don't have to listen to me the whole time. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Anyway, that's a joke. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. All right. Anyway, um, so today uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, a very uh, familiar passage uh, to a lot of us, uh, but we'll be there today. We're going to talk a little bit, we're actually going to plan on getting, eh, well, I say I plan on doing this, right? We're going to try to get through the first uh, half of the passage. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, so this morning we're going to look at the first half, and I'll have the opportunity again, Lord willing, to come before you later this month. And so we're going to hit the second half of that passage then. So um, today we're going to, if, if we're going to kind of put a title on this, where uh, the idea behind this is thinking about um, the strength and the power uh, to face the day, the strength and the power to face the day. I was listening to uh, just a random person uh, talking about an experience. He went, was traveling over and went to this church, and the, he was kind of disappointed uh, in what the church was preaching because he was, it was all like touchy-feely good stuff, and you know, he was like, well, I look around the world, and I don't see touchy-feely good stuff. I need help. I need help giving strength and power to face the week, to face the day. I, that's, what I, that's what we need from the churches. That's what we need. So that kind of stuck in my brain. I was like, strength and power to face the day. All right, let's do it. Let's get in there and let's, uh, let's pick a passage um, that speaks to this issue. And so I broke this passage down into four points. Four points. We're going to get to about two and a half today, and we'll take the other one and a half next time. Um, so the, the four points. Number one. Uh, you're not crazy, the world is, point number one. Number two, well, maybe Dale's a little crazy, but that's, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks for the amen, I appreciate it. I won't do that again to you, I'm sorry. Number two, people aren't the problem, Satan is. And I'll explain, okay, I'll explain. Number three, people aren't the solution either, Jesus is. Then number four, well, is there anything I can do? Yes, there is. Those are our four points today, right? Four points. You're not crazy. The world is. People aren't the problem. Satan is, right? People aren't the solution either. Jesus is. Is there anything we can do? Yes, there is. So today we're going to get to at least the first two, right? And then uh, half of the third one. So if you kind of listen to those points, you're not crazy. The world is. People aren't the problem. Satan is. We're going to be talking about the world and Satan today. Okay, but good news is coming, okay? Good news is coming, so just be patient with me, right? Just be patient. You're going to be thinking a minute in a little bit, like, wait a second, I thought he was talking about strength and power to face the day. I feel terrible, right? Just, we're getting there, okay? I promise, we're getting there. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, let's read through the passage, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. 
Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to go through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that at the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray and then we'll dive in to our text this morning. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see your word, uh, reveal in us your truth this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get into it, all right? Strength and power for the day, point number one, you're not crazy, the world is, all right? So let's go back to verse one and verse two, and I'm going to focus in on one phrase in verse two. All right, so it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Pause there. Following the course of this world. All right, so we're going to focus in on that little phrase, the course of this world. What is the course of this world? All right, and that word in there, and I had to look this up, all right, I don't know Greek, but I'll pretend I do for a minute, but... The, uh, the little Greek dictionary I was using, all right, said this, all right, that that word course means the way of the world. So it's literally talking about what is the way of the world. What is the normal operating procedure that the world follows, right? So the course of the world. How does the world work? That's what we're looking at today. So how does the world work? What is the course? You could think of this like a class right, like a college class or something like that where you go in and you do these things to get to the end goal, right, of hopefully graduating with this almost meaningless piece of paper, right? Anyway, or a pathway, right, a pathway. You're walking along this path and you're headed towards a goal. So let's kind of take that, the course of the world. What is the course and what are we leading to? What is the course of the world? All right, and verse 3 kind of gives us a little bit of information there. The course of the world or how the world normally works, verse 3, it says, uh, among whom we all once lived, how did we live? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature, children of wrath. Interesting. This is the normal course of the world. Notice what it said, living out in the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. Now think about that. If you are living for your passions, your desires, your mind, right, 
your, me, my, my, right? Me, 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 my, 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 now, 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 right? A little hook reference for you, okay? If, if you're living according to that, what do we call that? Everything's about me. We call it selfishness, right? So the course of the world, the path we take is selfishness leading to what? Well, what does it say? We are children of God's wrath. So the selfish path leads to what? God's wrath, the wrath of God. This is the course of the world. Living out selfishly, right, and is going to incur God's wrath, leading to God's wrath. So let's just give you a little few examples from the Old Testament here. We're going to give a few examples. We're not going to dwell on this too much, but I just want you to see how the course of the world, right, Old, Old Testament examples where people lived for themselves, lived selfishly, and it led to the wrath of God, okay? So we're going to kind of, usually I start at the beginning and go forward, we're going to start kind of later in the Old Testament and work back, okay, to the very beginning. So first example, and there was a bunch of them, I had a whole list of them, and I decided to cut some of them out just for time's sake anyways. How about Solomon? Solomon, the great King Solomon, the wisest man on earth, right? Anybody know what's most famous about Solomon aside from his wisdom? His 700 wives and 300 concubines. Yeah, yikes. Uh, anyway, we'll just leave it there. But the scripture describes this, like Solomon living out his passions, his desires, 700 wives, 300 concubines, right? It, the scripture describes as his wives pulling his heart away from the Lord, pulling his heart away from the Lord. To some point towards the end of his life, he was actually putting up altars, building high places to all these false gods because his, his wives asked him to. So he was literally... a practicing pagan worship, right? Even to this one god called Molech. He built an altar to Molech. And if anybody knows uh, that particular god in the Old Testament, one of the, the practices, the um, routine practices for the god of Molech was child sacrifice. So not a very good guy. But Solomon, right, the wisest man on earth, was building altars to these gods. Okay, so what happened to Solomon? All right, we know that the kingdom after Solomon was split into two. God came and he said, you have not followed my ways as your father David did, so I'm splitting the kingdom in half because of you, All right? So he lived selfishly for himself and brought about God's wrath. How about the Israelites? After they got out of Egypt, remember what they did, right? They saw all these miracles and all these wonderful things and... Moses goes up on the mountain, and they're like, all right, we're bored down here. Let's make some idols. Let's make some golden calves and worship them, right? Yeah. They were living selfishly again, and you can read about what they were actually doing uh, during those worship um, festivities, right? Anyway, what happened to them? They were living selfishly, and so the whole generation had to wander for 40 years until everybody died, and nobody could go into the promised land. Everybody died. The wrath of God. How about Egypt? Right? Egypt enslaved millions of people. And at one point, the king gave a command to go murder all the baby boys. 
in Israel because he was afraid of losing his power. What happened to them? The plagues, the whole army wiped out in the Red Sea, the angel of death, yikes, God's power. Tower of Babel could be another one, right? What did they do? Was the tower a problem? Not necessarily. What did they build the tower to do? Let us make a name for ourselves. Put themselves in God's position. So what did God do? Scatter their languages, or confuse their languages, scatter the people, right? And then the, probably the, the most expansive, the most worldwide example would be the flood itself. Remember that? You remember what it describes, the people living before flood times? You remember there? It describes it as every intention and thought was only evil continually. Think about the redundancy of that kind of, that sentence. Every thought was only evil continually. <laughs> Man, these guys must have been pretty bad. What were they doing? They were thinking about themselves the whole time, right? They were thinking about themselves. They were selfish. And what happened there? The whole world covered in water. The whole world destroyed. One family. One family. Oh, I forgot to mention Sodom and Gomorrah. You all remember that? Sodom and Gomorrah. What was interesting about that story is not even five righteous people were found in that city. Remember that? Abraham pleaded with God, if you find five righteous, he wouldn't destroy the city. Couldn't even find five. Crazy. Hold the city destroyed. All right? So now let's go to our last example. Okay? The course of the world. This is what we're describing. Remember, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Y'all might have known we were headed here, right? Now, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of what Ephesians says is the course of the world. Listen, listen carefully, and then we're going to compare Genesis chapter 3 to what Ephesians 2 is saying, right? Ephesians 2, 3 says, We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Okay, so the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body, and the desires of our mind. Okay, now look at chapter 3 of Genesis and look at verse 6. Look how it describes the first sin. Look how it describes the first sin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Did you see how it described that sin? Right? She saw that it was good for food, desire of the flesh. It was pleasing to the eyes, right? Desire of the eyes, and then desirable to make one wise of the mind. What was she doing? What was Adam doing? Right? Adam was with her. Right? Don't forget that. Adam was right there listening to this whole stuff. He didn't step in and protect. What were they doing? Thinking about themselves. Thinking about themselves. And so Adam and Eve, when they rejected God's law, thought about themselves, took that fruit and ate, they set the world on this course. 
this course of selfishness leading to the wrath of God. Because what did God say? As soon as you eat of it, you shall what? You shall surely die. You shall surely die. And at that very moment, shame came upon them. Shame came upon them. Physical death came a little later, but spiritual death came. They were separated from God because of their sin. So, this is the course of the world. This is the course of the world. How do we feel? We feel good, right? Told you we were feeling good. Yes? No? The courses of the world is, this could be summarized in a verse. You all know this one. The wages of sin is death. That is the course of this world. The course of this world, the wages of sin, is death. So, uh, we'll be back in, well, we'll talk about Genesis in a minute. But you can go back to Ephesians 2 now. Back to Ephesians 2. So, think about it. Is there any wonder now the world is like it is? Is there any wonder you can you go outside, turn on TV, watch news, whatever, and all over the world we see children being murdered. Just like in Solomon's day, right? Just like in Egypt's day. The world's no different, right? We see um, the same perverse sins being practiced, just like at Sodom and Gomorrah. We're no different, right? We see people seeking after false gods. We try to make a name for ourselves, And so what's coming? The wrath of God. This is what we've been uh, looking at through Revelation, right? The wrath of God. And you know there's good news in there as well. We'll get to that in a minute. So if you look around the world and you think to yourself, man, this place is nuts. This place is awful. You're not crazy, right? You're not crazy. It's the world that's crazy. They're following the course of the world. Right? Where is the world headed? The world is on course for God's wrath. And so if you look around and you think, wow, this place is crazy, you're not the crazy one, right? You're not the crazy one. The people want us to think we're crazy. So, who's to blame? Who's to blame? This is the fun part, right? We can always do the Adam and Eve thing, right? The woman you gave me. No, the serpent did it, right? We can always play the blame game, right? Politicians, yeah? Oh, yeah. Government, they're the problem. Bureaucrats, Our neighbors, right? Red states, blue states, purple states, all of them, whatever. They're all the problem. We can play the name. We can play the blame game, but be careful, right? Be careful who you blame. Go back to Ephesians 2, because what is the world doing According to this verse, what is the world doing? The world is following its leader. The world is just following its leader. Take a look. Back at verse 2. Or we'll start at 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following the prince of the power of the air. Right? We know that to be Satan. Goodness gracious. Oh, the time changed. 
I just looked at that clock and I was like, wow, I am already like an hour over. Man, I'm doing terribly. Okay. All right, we'll have to change that before next week, before Bryce comes back. Anyway, okay. All right. Woo! Sorry about that. Okay. Where were we? Oh, the world is following its leader, the prince of the power of the air, right? We know that's Satan. All right, so now think, okay? I'm going to say something, but don't try, to, don't try to mix up my words here, okay? I'm going to kind of explain. Point number two, people aren't necessarily the problem, right? Satan is, okay? The world, when we look out at the world, when we see people doing things that they're doing, right? When we look at whatever happening, they're just following their leader. They're just following their leader, okay? And we're going to flesh that out in a minute. But Genesis chapter 3, go all the way back. When the course was set, right, Adam and Eve didn't set it by themselves. Who was there? Satan tempted them. Satan fed them the lie, and they followed the lie, right? They were following when they rejected God's truth and believed the lie. They set a new power. They put into power somebody else aside from God. They put Satan in charge, right? And what does Satan use? Satan uses yourself. Satan uses your selfishness to get his way. He puts everything back on you. Oh, you can have this. You can have that. You can be like God if you just disobey him. But what does that do, right? It puts you on the path to wrath, and it puts him on the throne. It puts him on the throne. So just in case... Uh, y'all remember, um, do you remember uh, Matthew chapter 4? You don't have to turn there, we'll just talk. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, the last time he was tempted, Satan takes him up to a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Y'all remember this, right? And he says, I will give you all these kingdoms and all their glory if you bow down and worship me. Now, why was that tempting? Why was that even a temptation? Because guess who owned all those things? All right? Now, think about it. Why would Satan tempt Jesus with, I'll give you all these things, if he couldn't deliver it? Why was that even a temptation? Right? Because Satan was in charge of all those. Right? That was the temptation. Satan says, I can give you the easy way out. You are coming to inherit the whole earth but you have to die. I can give you the whole earth now without you having to die. Without you having to suffer, I can give it all to you now. Just worship me. Right? That was the temptation. Showing that Satan is in control, or was in control, right? Satan was the leader of the course of this world. The world is just following. Flip over a couple of pages to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. This is another very... Um, famous verse, or at least passage, when Paul is talking about the armor of God, right? Why do we need the armor of God? Is it because of our neighbors? Is it because of the politicians, right? Is it because whatever? No. Look what, well, look what it says, verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what is Paul saying? Who is our enemy when it comes to the world, the course of this world? Our enemy is Satan. We're fighting against him, right? So what does that do for us in relation to other people? We go out and we have conversations with people that might not agree with us, right? That we have different views with. Are we to get angry at them? They're following the course of the world. Well, I'm saying if you have the Jesus view, right? <laughs> if, we're on the, if, if we have the view that Jesus takes. But we don't get mad at other people. They're following the course of the world. They're following Satan. You can get mad at him, right? And lest we forget, right? Don't get too excited. Don't get too happy. Lest we forget, back to Ephesians 2 really quickly. What does it say about us, our condition? Don't forget, you were there too. I was there. I was following the course of the world. I was following Satan, my leader at one point right? Don't forget. We've been there. What does it say? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were there. That's us. Before Christ, that is us. Following the world. Right? Following the world. So where does strength and power come from? Right? We feel pretty, feel pretty powerful right now, don't you? That's okay. It's coming. So, so far, the world is dead in trespasses and sins, headed for wrath, we were there too. I feel terrible. How about you? Good. You know why? Now life can begin. Now life can begin. When you know you're dead, now life can begin. Because look at the next verse. Verse 4. But God. Ah, beautiful words. But God. Everything that we just talked about, the course of the world, being in the lap of Satan, everybody following their own selfish desires, the world is, but God is about to do something. He's about to give us a chance. What does he say? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God made us alive. Even when we were dead, God made us alive. So here's our third point. We get to part one today. One half. Here's our point two and a half. People aren't the solution, right? The world's crazy. Satan's in control. 
right? People aren't necessarily the problem, but people aren't the solution either, right? You can't fix it either. Jesus is the solution. God made us alive together with Christ through what? Through His mercy and love. Think about it. What's the world stuck in? The world is stuck in selfishness. And what did Jesus bring? Mercy and love. The opposite of selfishness, right? Love is the opposite of selfishness. Well, how did he do this? All right, go all the way back to the beginning, chapter 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, Christ came. Did he sin? No. He lived. Lived the life that we couldn't do. So he wasn't dead. He was alive, even on this world, even surrounded by Satan and death. Yet he was alive, never sinned once. What else? He took the wrath of God upon himself. Where everybody else, the world, is headed towards the wrath of God, God was headed towards life. Jesus was headed towards life. And he takes the wrath on himself. He didn't deserve it, but he took it. And then finally, well, not finally, and he died. Did Jesus deserve to die? No, the only person in history that didn't deserve to die, but he did it anyway. He lived perfect life, defeating sin, He took the wrath of God, and He died where we were supposed to. That's where He did. He died taking all the wrath of God on us. All the wrath of God from us put it on Himself. And then finally, He came back to life, defeating death finally. Once and for all, boom. The spiritual death that we know now has been defeated, and physical death will be defeated soon. That's what the Revelation's about, right? Right? We've been studying that. We'll get new bodies soon and all that. But now, since Jesus came, He lived in this world that we couldn't handle, we couldn't obey, and we were headed towards the wrath. He obeyed. He took the wrath. He substituted Himself as His death, and now He has life to give. So there's a course. The world's on this course. Jesus came. He lived that course for us, and now he set up a new one. Now there's two paths. You have an option, right? We have two courses. We can follow our passions and stay on the course of wrath and death, or you realize you're dead already, right? You're on this path. You're dead. And we can jump over to the path of Christ, where he has paid the debt for us. So this is what I mean by you have to realize that you're dead before life can begin. You have to realize we're on this path towards, towards wrath, towards death. Once we realize that, then you can search for life. And what does Jesus say? I am the way, path, right? I am the truth. I am the life, right? Come to me. You'll find me. Knock. The door will be open. If you're looking for life, I'm here, and you'll find it. And so this is why we read Acts chapter 16 earlier, right? Acts chapter 16 tells a story of the Philippian jailer, right? Paul and Silas were in jail. They were singing hymns. They were, um, the jailer was listening. And they were given 
the jailer was given specific instructions to make sure this guy doesn't escape. So they put Paul and Silas in the inner chamber. They bind their feet in the stocks. They have guards around, all posts. And we, we read what happened. Earthquake came. All the doors opened. All the stocks were opened. All the bindings were loose. The jailer comes running and sees the door opens. And do you know the penalty? If you're a Roman soldier, do you know the penalty for losing a prisoner? It's death. The penalty for losing a soldier is, or losing a prisoner is death. So what does he do? He's dead already, right? He knows that. The door's open. He thinks everybody's gone. He's a dead man. So he does what he thinks is the honorable thing, pulls out his sword, and he starts to kill himself rather than suffer on a cross like somebody else. So he starts to kill himself, and what does Paul do? Don't do it. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Now think about it. Think about this man. This man just came face to face with his own death. He knew he was dead. And then Paul yells out, don't do it. There's another way. You don't have to die. We're all here. This man, trembling in fear, faced with his own death, drops down to his knees before him. What does he say? What do I have to do to be saved? I was almost dead. What do I need to do to be saved? Go to church, right? Make sure you're, you know, say whatever you're supposed to say. Do penance. Visit Jerusalem. Is that what they said? No. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You, where does strength and power come for the day? Realizing that you're dead without Him. That you've been made alive with Christ, and now you have power to face the day. The course of this world is broken. You're not headed to wrath anymore. You don't have to live for yourself in selfishness. You don't have to follow the devil. You have been made alive in Christ. This is the power. This is where the power comes from for the day, for our lives. We've been made alive. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us today. We are cut by your word. We realize that we, we once were, or maybe even we are now, stuck in the course of the world. Lord, there's only one way out. There's only one way off this course, and that is through you, Jesus. Lord, you came and offered yourself gave yourself up. You died so that we could have life. Lord, help us to believe that that is true. Get us off this course of the world. Put us on the course of life. Make us alive, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is 500.
Tim Esco is going to come lead us in our benediction today. Let's pray. Father, we are, have so much to be thankful for. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Robbie's uh, being able to step up, Father, and, and fill Bryce's shoes, Father. We thank you for his teaching, his preaching, Father. We thank you for the word that has been talk to us today father may we take it and apply it into our hearts father that we may go out into this this dark world father that there's no hope just the path of destruction to death and father we just pray that we can take this word that's been taught to us today and may we be that that beacon that the lighthouse the just that glimmer of hope father that there's life through you through your grace and your precious gift of salvation Father, we thank you for this church. Thank you for the leaders. Father, we, we just lift Bryce up to you. Father, we pray that you'll let the doctors have correctly diagnosed him, Father, through the miracle of modern medicine. Father, we pray that um, medicine will do its required work, Father, and heal him and bring him back to his work, bring him back here to, to our, this body that we serve at Redland Baptist Church. Father, we pray that we will set the example. So, Father, set that light and that hope, Father, for those that are lost. We love you. We thank you for all your many blessings. Amen. Amen.